Don't touch that dial. It's the American Grooves Radio Hour with your host, Joe Laura. About three weeks ago, I got a big charge out of seeing a bright satchel mouth face beaming at the world from the cover of Time magazine. Face of one of my best friends. Tonight, I'm just popping with pride. To give a friendly five to the most sensational horn of them all, Louis Satchmo Armstrong. Yes. Yeah, yeah. be hotter than that hotter than that recorded in 1927 by Louis Armstrong and his hot five and we are here tonight to celebrate Louis Armstrong's birthday born in New Orleans August 4th 1901 so that would have made him 
120 years old if he was alive. But Louis Armstrong, his influence, his artistry will never die. To me, he is one of the great American composers just of his solos, the composition of his solos. And as an entertainer, he performed with everyone. That was Bing Crosby introducing him in the 1950s on his radio show. That's how we started off. Armstrong, you just can't, I mean, people don't understand how influential he was as a jazz musician. When Armstrong first started making his Hot Five recordings in 1925, musicians everywhere just got those records and kept backing them up and playing the solos over and over and over again and tried to emulate them. In fact, when you find some of the old recordings, you see that the solo sections are more worn out than the others, especially if you're buying the records from the family of old musicians who were trumpet players or whoever wanted to study those solos. There was no other way to do it. You couldn't tape them and play it back. You had to just put that steel needle back on the section that you wanted to learn. And certainly Armstrong's solos were worn out on many of those records. So uh, Louis uh, lived in New Orleans for the first part of his life in, uh, in 1920. Two, he was summoned by his mentor, King Oliver, who was making a great success in Chicago. Chicago at the time was a wide open city, and many African American people had left the South and gone up there for jobs in the factories, and, you know, they needed to be entertained, and Oliver was at the forefront of that. He was one of the most popular bands in town, and when he uh, summoned Louis up, uh, he was playing at the Lincoln Gardens, I believe, a Chicago club, a mainly African-American club, but they did allow white people in who uh, many young people like Benny Goodman and Bud Freeman snuck in or or somehow got into the Lincoln Gardens to watch their idols, King Oliver. And when Louis came to town, it just blew the roof off of everything. Anyway, uh, in Chicago, not too long after he had arrived, they were summoned to the Jeanette Studios. They took the train to uh, Richmond, Indiana. And the first recordings of King Oliver and Louis Armstrong were made. Uh, it said that uh, Armstrong's horn was so powerful that he had to kind of stand in the back of the little studio as not to blow out the balance of the band. He was such a strong player. And remember, they were recording into a horn. They did not have microphones. It was like basically blowing into a horn, a diaphragm, uh, uh, making an impression onto the wax master of the record. And here's the first side they made, Canal Street Blues.
King Oliver Band with Louis Armstrong. And uh, Louis stayed with the Oliver Band till about 1924 uh, when he went over to the Fletcher Henderson Band. Henderson was based in New York and probably the most popular uh, uh, African-American band working in New York at the time. Uh, Lil Armstrong, Lil Hardin Armstrong, also the piano player in the Oliver Band, married to Louie, and she pushed him a lot. She got him opportunities that he might not have uh, really taken or looked for on his own. She was his mentor in that way. She got him involved uh, with the OK Record Company, where he started recording. And while with Henderson, Louis... uh, made recordings with other uh, musicians and other groups. And one of the people that contracted a lot of musicians and made recordings was Clarence Williams. He was a ex-New Orleans pianist, songwriter, band booker, and he recorded Louie with uh, Clarence Williams' Blue Five several times. Here's one of the first recordings they made with the wonderful Buster Bailey on soprano sax. Uh, and Eva Taylor, Clarence Williams' wife on vocal, 1924, Everybody Loves My Baby, but my baby don't love nobody but me.
Red Onion Jazz Babies, 1924, December. Louis Armstrong taking the lead with his New Orleans expatriot, Sidney Bechet, Whalen on the soprano saxophone, Bechet and Armstrong, two of the icons of traditional jazz and just stars in their day. And to have them together, I just trading off each other, that is to me, one of the most exciting recordings of jazz from that era. Right around this time, um, a little bit later, Louis finally, uh, through the insistence of Lil Hardin, his wife, and just his reputation, he was able to land a record contract under his own name with OK Records. And uh, he went out as Louis Armstrong in the Hot Five. It was... uh, other New Orleans players, Johnny Dodds on clarinet, Kid Ori on trombone. Ori went back to the early 1900s playing with some of the early uh, New Orleans groups before he moved over to Chicago. And, you know, he had that tailgate style. And this is one of the great New Orleans ensembles recorded here. And you've heard the song maybe before. It's legendary because they say it's one of the first scat vocals. I don't know if I believe that, but the the story is when it got to the time when Louis was supposed to sing, he dropped the paper with the words and made it up known as scat singing. I don't know if that's urban legend or what, but that's the story. Here he is in February 1926. Heebie jeebie. Keep 
Those who collect American vernacular music on 78 these days, uh, the trend really now is really rare Delta Blues. That's the big ticket item now, the Charlie Pattons, the Robert Johnsons. But back when record collecting really began in the 1930s, everyone was, everyone was dying for jazz. And Louis Armstrong and King Oliver, those were the golden records to find. And everyone looked for them. They were rare uh, because there was no organized way to find them. You, you literally had to go out onto the field. You had to go to antique shops. You had to go to furniture stores. You had to talk to old musicians who might have had them. And this is how this collecting really began. And jazz was the big ticket item back then. Uh, you know, it shifted through the years, but the Louis O'Kays were the cornerstones of any jazz collection. The people that collected traditional jazz back then were called moldy figs. They didn't want to listen to bebop. They didn't want to listen to anything. In fact, most music after 1940 uh, of the jazz style was pretty much taboo to these collectors. They wanted the originals. I would say that I am a moldy fig. I'm the last of the breed. Anyway, back to Louis. Um, when Louis was recording his Hot Five sessions, went on for a few years, uh, became the Hot Seven. Uh, a few years later, uh, it went on till about 1928, 29, when it started being the Louis Armstrong Orchestra. But back during the Hot Five and Seven days, he was also uh, kind of like making other recordings with other groups on other labels, but never under his own name, because that was taboo. He had an exclusive contract with OK, uh, but he recorded on Brunswick. He recorded on Vocalion, and here is one of his Brunswick recordings with his bandmate and old pal, Johnny Dodds. This was recorded in 1927, and it is called Wild Man Blues. Louis Armstrong with Johnny Dodds and his Black Bottom Stompers. Thank you. 
Wild Man Blues, Louis Armstrong with the Johnny Dodds Black Bottom Stompers. And, um, you know, by the early 1930s, we're going to kind of jump the timeline now because uh, I want to do this little demonstration for you. But let me explain it. Um, when Lewis left the OK record label in 31, he moved over to Victor, where he stayed for two years. And then um, at the end of 1933, early 1934, he went over to Europe and he played in Copenhagen. There's a film of Louis uh, uh, playing in Copenhagen. That's probably the earliest uh, known footage of him playing live. Uh, and then he went to Paris. And in Paris, he made a series of recordings and unlike the American record executives, they really got it in Paris. And they understood Armstrong's artistry. And what they did is they issued a series of recordings. And one in particular, uh, Lewis's version of the classic On the Sunny Side of the Street. What they did is they did one side of the record of the 78 where Lewis just played the trumpet. So you got to hear all of his inventions, all of the things that he would do with an extended solo, which was very unusual at the time. Remember, the phonograph records at the time were three and a half minutes, and usually Louis would get some featured solo. But in this case, he gets an extended solo. Then the other side of the record is Louis singing the song, also in an extended way. So I think this is really sort of the best example I could play for you of the mind of Louis Armstrong at the time and how he constructed his solos and what he would do with an extended time period. When he was playing live, I'm sure that this would go on and on and on, but on a phonograph record, it was restricted. So this is a very rare example of uh, the artistry of Louis Armstrong in an extended time period. So here he is in 1934 on the sunny side of the street. Trumpet first, and then we'll go right to the vocal version. Thank you. 
grab your coat, grab your hat, baby, leave your worries on the doorstep, just direct your feet on the sunny side of the Can't you hear that little bad thing? The happy tune is yourself. Life can be so sweet on sunny side. I used to walk in the shed with those blues on forever and all. But I'm not afraid, baby. My rover crossed over. If I never ever said that, I'd be that rocky fellow with gold dust at my feet on the sunny side. Grab the gold. Grab your hat, leave your worries on the doorstep, baby. Just direct your feet on the sunny side of the street, faces of anyone. Can't you hear that bit of that? All the happy tunes yourself, baby. Life can be so sweet, oh baby, 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 Louis Armstrong in 1934 recorded in Paris, two versions of On the Sunny Side of the Street, as I mentioned, showing the brilliance of Mr. Armstrong. You know, as the media was so short in duration, records, again, three and a half minutes, um, it's really hard to understand the inventiveness of a of a jazz soloist like Armstrong. You have to remember, he was one of the first soloists in jazz, or at least in recorded jazz, prior to the King Oliver recordings, or even during them. It's really a, a New Orleans ensemble. But when Louis started making those Hot Five records in late 1925, he was at the forefront. He was soloing. He was leading the group. Prior to that, the New Orleans style was pretty much everyone playing together. All, you know, the, the trumpet would play the lead melody and embellish that. The clarinet would dance around it and the trombone would offer sort of like a bass-like, I don't know what you would call it, just kind of accents. That was New Orleans jazz. Uh, when Louie got there and started putting focus on the solos, jazz changed forever. Now, here's another um, example of, of Louie at his 
truly best. He recorded four takes in 1930-31 of the classic tune Stardust. And each one had a very, very, very different solo. And that was just the way he played. He never did the same thing twice, you know, uh, unless if he intended to do. But generally, if he had a solo section, it was very different. And with four takes, you really can hear his brilliance and his inventiveness. And we're not going to play all four, but this is take two of Stardust, one of my favorites. Uh, And again, it was recorded in 1930-31 on the OK label. Here's Louie on that great tune. Thank you. 
I love the fact that Louis Armstrong and Bing Crosby, two of my favorite musicians of all time, were really good friends. They not only respected each other musically, and clearly Bing was one of the great crooners, one of the great pop singers of his day. And they just, I mean, he came from a jazz background, so how could he not love Louis? But they worked together a lot, mainly on radio, I think a couple of films, at least two films. Uh, and it was a mutual respect society that they had between themselves. And it was genuine. And uh, case in point, here is Bing uh, and Louie on uh, Bing's uh, radio show. This is probably the early 1950s. It's beyond the time frame we usually go, but you need to hear it. It's great. And then a little surprise after it that just shows you their friendship. Louis, you know you got a platter out on, on Blueberry Hill. Yes, sir. Really a great record. Really a killer. Well, thank you, Papa Bing. You know, I wouldn't mind climbing old Blueberry Hill right now if you'd climb it with me. Well, <laughs> Mr. Trotter, give us a little boost. I think I can make it. Okay. John Scott, are you ready? I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill on Blueberry For you are my thrill. 
True American original was Louis Armstrong. That was a private recording that uh, Louis did uh, at the Decca Studios with his band, and he made this recording just to be given to Bing Crosby. A couple of copies uh, got out there. I don't know how, where mine came from, but it's clearly very rare. But most importantly, it shows you the affection between these two men. He did not have to make that recording. He did it. He went through the trouble of rounding up the band and doing a little arrangement for Bing, the Madam Bing, and all the little Bingies. Lewis's love for what he called muggles, uh, marijuana, was pretty much well known. And uh, he was a real pothead, no doubt. And um, this next recording is, is kind of interesting. Nobody really knows the, the answer to the questions, but what people have said in the collecting world for years, even musicians who were on it, is that Louis was pretty much off of his gourd when they made this recording in 1933 in the Victor Studios. It's called Laughing Louis. You tell me what you think. Well, what 
money, you know about that. Now, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I want to tell y'all that I'm going to do a little practice this evening on this little Selma trumpet. Bless his little heart. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Before I swing out, I want to check this little number about Laughing Louie. Laughing Louie. Look out that gate. Laughing Louie. Laughing Louie. Yeah, man. Now, I'm Laughing Louie. Yes, now. Me ain't no fool. Laughing Louie. Boy, yeah. Look y'all, I wake up every morning and I have to laugh because I look on the wall and I see my photograph. <laughs> yeah, man, they call me laughing, do it. But you can't just play yourself because you won't let me swing. Look out there. Yeah. Now y'all think you're something, don't you? But listen, y'all won't let me play some hot riffs for you this evening, and you won't let me sing for you, but you must listen at this beautiful number, one of them old-time good ones. Listen at this. <laughs> Take off, Gate. <laughs> <laughs> think uh, to the untrained ear, listening to Louis Armstrong's solos today, you know, 90 years, almost 100 years after the fact on some of them, it's hard to really understand uh, uh, how brilliant he really was and how innovative. But I assure you, and any jazz scholar will tell you that if it wasn't for Louis Armstrong, there'd be no Roy Eldridge. There'd be no Dizzy Gillespie. There'd be no Miles Davis because he was the guy that set the standard. He was the guy that took the trumpet out of the ensemble and put it to the forefront. And jazz has never been the same since. So that wraps it up. 
pretty much for us today on the American Grooves Radio Hour, where, as I tell you every week, we're playing records, original 78s from my collection here on WLIW-FM 88.3 on the radio dial, streaming at WLIWradio.org. All of our shows are archived. So tune in again, and until next week, have a great one and keep listening. Radio Hour is brought to you weekly on WLIW-FM Southampton, 88.3 on your radio dial, and at WLIW.org, and all streaming formats. 